We could really mention many moments where the work activated themselves in a certain sense. And this to me is the most interesting part of this work. The opportunity to explore the generative possibilities of what happens through the encounter of contemporary art and cinema and what happens when you take a work from the safe space, let's say, of a white cube and you make it part of another creative form. And in that sense, it has activated definitely a lot of conversations. Hi, I'm Kate Brown, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. In a new feature film called Inside, an art heist goes terribly wrong for a thief named Nemo. Nemo is played by world-renowned actor Willem Dafoe, well-loved by the art world already for his performance in the 2018 film At Eternity's Gate, where he played Vincent van Gogh. But in the ultra-contemporary plot of Inside, Defoe's character, Nemo, is not a world-famous artist. He's a rather anonymous robber, and he's after a self-portrait by Egon Schiele. The artwork is not where it's supposed to be, inside this ultra-modern penthouse that he's just broken into. And carefully laid plans seem to be going awry, and precious minutes are lost. Then, the alarm system locks down, leaving Nemo sealed off from the world while in the heart of Manhattan. If you haven't seen Inside yet, by the way, be advised that there are spoilers scattered throughout this episode. So Nemo is now stuck in this box of glass, steel, and concrete, with little more than some exotic fish, luxury furniture, and a multi-million dollar art collection to keep him company. On screen alone for practically the entire film, Defoe begins to battle it out against the degradation of Nemo's body and spirit, and to deal with the latter, The artworks in the apartment become something like a central character, as does Nemo's own blossoming creativity. The art in the apartment, which was carefully curated, both drives the plot and deepens the themes of Inside. There is, for example, the 1999 artwork by Italian artist Maurizio Catalan, a large photograph on canvas of a man taped to the wall with tons of duct tape, sarcastically and punitively titled A Perfect Day. There is also David Horowitz's 2019 neon that hangs over the character's struggle with a sort of torturous presence. The neon says, all the time that will come after this moment. And to build out the idea of a real art collection, there are also emerging stars. A video work by Julien Charrière and Julius von Bismarck from 2016, which was filmed at the exclusion zone that surrounds Chernobyl nuclear power plant is among the artworks in Inside that conjure questions about humanity, planetary survival, and climate crisis, which is an undercurrent theme of the movie. This captivating and claustrophobic feature had its world premiere at the Berlinella Film Festival last month, and it's about to hit theaters in the U.S. So, to talk about this avant-garde psychological art world thriller, I'm happy to be joined today by the director of Inside, Vasilis Katsupis, who is joining from Athens. Vasilis, it's great to have you here. Hello, thank you very much. It's great to meet you. And also joining is Leonardo Bagazzi, art curator for the film, who's joining from Florence. Hi, Leonardo. Hello. Hi, Kate. So, yeah, let's head right over to New York City, to this ultra-luxury high-rise in Manhattan, where the plot of your new film unfolds. To start, maybe, Vasilis, you can share a bit about what sparked the idea for this one-man survivor tale around millions of dollars of art. I guess Manhattan itself, back in a trip many, many years ago, it's a simple idea, you know, I just look at these uh, amazing uh, skyscrapers and 
In Greece, we don't have uh, so big buildings. So it sparked to me like, uh, okay, what if someone is um, going to be trapped in a a penthouse uh, on the top of this building? What's going to happen if no one is coming to rescue? So that was the initial spark. And then it came to me that how the premise of Robinson Crusoe would work in the center of a metropolis. There is life buzzing around and the protagonist cannot uh, actually feel the life. So this is how it came to my mind. And then I started working about how the dialogue will happen between the entrapped one and the absent one, that it is the owner of the house that is never there. So we needed a vehicle to mirror the owner's personality and character. And that was through the artworks and the design of the house. Yeah, I want to talk about the collections specifically in a minute. But before we get there, like there's a lot unfolding in this movie, but a lot of it is just happening around one person who is Willem Dafoe playing Nemo. How did you land on Dafoe for the role of this art thief? I knew from the beginning that in order for this film to make sense, it needed a very, very huge actor, a legend, someone that the audience would spend their time, uh, their attention for one and a half hours on the screen. I mean, it's not many actors that can actually do that. And we were lucky to be introduced to Willem Dafoe by... Jim Stark, an American producer. He liked the script. We start talking. Uh, we didn't uh, do a casting session, you know, uh, looking at other actors. You know, it's the magical how a project attracts the correct people from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, he's well suited for the role. And it's, yeah, as you said, there's very few people that you could watch and be engaged by for, you know, over an hour and a half. And he's certainly one of them. But like, who is Nemo, though? I mean, there's this character. And as I said, you know, we watch him for so long. What do we know about him? And what do we know about his relationship to art in specific? We have no backstory for Nemo. And that was crucial for me and crucial actually for Willem Dafoe. He didn't want to know a backstory. It was something that I thought And I wanted to start knowing Nemo from the moment that he's getting entrapped, from the moment that he's inside this apartment. So the audience would uh, react and empathize with this character without knowing something else, to be concentrated on him and what's happening inside the house. If he had a backstory, then everyone would react according to the backstory. So it would, uh, I think, lower the power of what's going on inside the house. Nemo is just a man that's getting trapped inside the luxury house and he tries to find food and water and he tries to survive. This is so simple, but also so, I think, so powerful because you start, you try to decode him as you watch the film. Because he's sort of an empty vessel, as you say, you really like and identify with what he's going through. Um, he becomes so relatable. So as you say, there's Nemo, but then the other protagonist or antagonist, if you will, is the house. Leonardo, you were the curator of everything that is in the house. This is quite an interesting brief as a curator, although I know that this is exactly your wheelhouse. You were a curator at Fondazione in between art and film. It's not often that one hears about a curator in a film industry movie. So Where did you begin with this curatorial task? 
Yes, it's true. And it shows my reaction when I received the email of Giorgos Carnavas inviting me for this project. I literally jumped on my chair and I said to myself that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to work on such a daring uh, project and also with a wonderful team. And since the very beginning, the dialogue that I had with Giorgos, uh, with Vasilis and also with Thorsten Sable, who's actually the set designer of the entire house, was sort of the starting point to kind of get to understand how I could approach this role because I think what was extremely interesting was that on the one hand I was asked to build a character because obviously as it is in every art collection the collection is the extension of the owner the extension of the person that puts it together when we visit private art collection we often recognizes like uh, obsessions passions encounters of those persons who put them together so i started fantasizing the only thing i knew was that he was an architect and this was important for the narrative of the story so obviously being such an intellectual he doesn't collect just to have uh, head hunting on the walls and show off with his friends but he he has a knowledge about what he's buying and he's not just buying blue chip artists uh, following an art advisor but at the same time there was a necessity for this house to show a side of the collector that would be a sort of a way of showing off a certain kind of wealth and that's the part that let's say Nemo really tackles but this was one challenge the other challenge was really the idea together with Vasilis to build a subtext in the art collection that continuously throughout the whole movie speaks to the narrative of the film speaks to the psychological and physical even unfolding of the character throughout the movie so how to make them collide and how to make them walk together these two paths were quite challenging Yeah, the art has this double function of like telling you about this Pritzker Prize winner, but then also moving forward the sort of undercurrent of themes. Before we talk about that, because that's a super interesting part that I thought was really successful about the film, maybe we can just hang around on the art itself for a second. He's got a lot of emerging art in his collection. And as you say, like this collector doesn't seem like he's an art flipper by any intents and purposes. But then the reason that Nemo is there is for these Egon Schiele's, you know, this 20th century Viennese artist. The Sheilas are so central to the movie. Like, why that artist in particular? So, from the very beginning, the dialogue with Vasilis was to build an art collection that could be perceived as something extremely important, art historically speaking, by a wider audience, but also have then further layers that could be accessed by people like myself and like you, who are more acknowledged and more interested in contemporary art. So I've visited several art collections in my life where, despite having a very contemporary art-driven focus, they would have one modern master. I have a friend of mine who's a very special collector uh, that has an incredible collection of Arte Povera, but then she has one Klimt in her bedroom. That's really her secret pleasure somehow. So... The Schiele's, for example, are placed in the bedroom and next to his desk, which usually, in my experience, in an art collector's house, are always the places where you put the most intimate works that relate to your personal history. Why Schiele? Already Vasilis had a few ideas since the beginning, and we went through them. And Schiele, to me, had even this physical resemblance of his characters in the drawings that are so similar of how the character of Nemo changes physically. So it had this interesting reminder to actually the way Nemo sort of evolves during the film. 
I also love this detail that you included art that is not in public collections. So for the real art nerds out there, like it is not something that would be at the Tate, which of course like would break the storyline for a lot of people who know about this stuff. Which surprisingly enough is what happens most of the time in films. Many times you see incredible artworks that you know are part of the Prado collection and you all of a sudden they pop up in the office of a broker in Wall Street. So I think this was like the veridicity of or the actual possibility that this collection exists, despite being pretty schizophrenic in a certain sense, is something we really wanted to be present. As we were saying, the art collection also serves this narrative function. You know, there's this question that I really found really interesting about humans' vulnerability in the face of natural elements. But of course, Vasilius has like cited this inside. The house becomes a microclimate. There's this malfunctioning air conditioner, which I think is going to like give me nightmares forever. Um, and so Nemo suffers through these extremes. But interestingly, some of the art is addressing some of these issues of shelter and nature and migration. Maybe you could each speak a bit about some of these works and, you know, what the themes were that you wanted to drive with them. First of all, uh, don't worry about the air conditioning. It will never happen. So I talked with uh, air conditioned. <laughs> they never go uh, <laughs> to these extreme uh, temperatures. Yes. So what I really wanted through the artworks would be the eyes of the apartment. So I wanted some faces to look at the apartment to be the eyes of the apartment. Then I wanted some artworks to show things of escaping and so entrapment of being trapped. And uh, Leonardo proposed Mauricio Catalan's, the gaffer taped uh, guy in the photograph, or uh, he found this amazing photography by Andrian Pachi. They're playing staircase with all these people trapped in the staircase. And also, I really loved when he came with this uh, proposal of having Janas Kiotrovska's uh, photographs that took of your friends that asked them to make a shelter inside their house. That was something from the script that we had that it happens later that he builds his own shelter inside the house. So that was amazing that we give this narrative uh, clue from the very beginning through these photographs. And also this amazing Corvich neon uh, artwork that says everything that happens after this moment. It's kind of plays with time and plays with, with the things that might change. And it's like the house giving him clues and the house talking to him all the time through the artwork. Funny enough, in the scene of the fire um, extinguishing uh, system, that the one side of the neon, turns off, happened completely by chance. It wasn't in our uh, intention. And this is the gods of filmmaking <laughs> when they <laughs> they really like you and they want to, you know, to help you. And that was amazing that we had. The best person to talk about it is Leonardo to tell you. To the, he will tell you a thousand uh, stories. I love his idea of having the rings from uh, um, Ryan Tabet. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Talbot, the rings that it's the only artwork that starts from inside the house and ends from outside the house to the patio. So it's the only thing that connects these two worlds. At the end of the day, what Nemo does, the murals he paints and also the tower that he makes in order to get out, it's by itself an installation. 
we can divide the works in two categories, like macro categories in a certain sense. The ones that were inspired by the script, and I think Joanna Piotrowska's Frantic series is a very good example, meaning like these works where she's asking friends and colleagues to renegotiate their relationship with their own domestic environments and build these shelters, which resemble these games that we were doing when we were little, building your own shelter in your house. But when you're an adult, all of a sudden, it really becomes a way of reflecting on how you find your own shelter within your own house, but that shelter still keeps you very vulnerable to whatever can happen. No, like they're very precarious as much as our condition, I think, even more charged after what we have experienced with the lockdown. Other works, in fact, through the selection and through the dialogue I had with Vasilis really shaped the script because, for example, you know, the work by Maurizio Cattelan where his galleries, Massimo De Carlo, is attached to the wall, duct tape. That scene was not there. That scene was really a moment that came through the possibility of Willem being on set for a month and a half because the film was shot in sequence and so chronologically, which means that he was able to really find his own way to negotiate his relationship with the objects. And so a good part of the film is actually impro and it's through the dialogue that Vasilis and, and Willem had on set. Same for when he wears the moth of Petri Talilai, this very important work that was commissioned for the film, because let's not forget that seven artworks were actually commissioned for the film, including a beautiful drawing of Francesco Clemente. And these works really gave shaped certain key scenes of the film, even the scenography, like there's a moment where in his dream, he's walking down the airplane staircase, the same that is actually part of the Adrian Pachi photograph. So these moments, these ideas were all coming from the dialogue that we had throughout the months that we worked together. Something else very interesting that I'm actually reflecting upon it right now, like through all these conversations that we're having in the past two weeks, it's really this idea that there's a moment when the house really becomes a mental landscape. And so you don't really know if what is in a painting is really there, like when he recognized himself in the painting of Stefanos Rojos. So this idea that how the work mirror his condition is really part of this idea of losing the sense of time, losing the sense of space, losing the sense of where he is, and finding these new meanings in the works that are part of the collection. So this uh, subtext, and exactly, we could, as Vasilis mentioned, uh, the episode with the David Horvitz video, we could really mention many moments where the work activated themselves in a certain sense. And this, to me, is the most interesting part of this work. The opportunity to explore the generative possibilities of what happens through the encounter of contemporary art and cinema, and what happens when you take a work from the safe space, let's say, of a white cube, and you make it part of another creative form. And in that sense, it has activated definitely a lot of conversations. Part of like how you managed to achieve that, I understand, is that you actually filmed it chronologically, which allowed Willem to have these off-script reactions to the art. Is that right? And so he kind of becomes this live installation. I mean, he like destroys the apartment and a lot of the art. Can you say a bit about that choice? Because that's kind of an unconventional way to make a film, right? I was talking with Willem before start shooting. I mean, uh, I was showing him the last drafts of the script and we exchanging notes and because he was the character and I had to know how he would react to situations that are written in the script. And then I said to him, look, I'm going to make the best possible environment for you to come in and uh, for your performance to thrive. So I made 
a huge set. I also, you have a virtual reality set. That means that all you see, the skyline that you see from New York are projections. So he always was in the correct environment. Like when it was night, it felt night. When it was morning, it felt morning. When it was cloudy, it felt cloudy. So that was the best environment for an actor to work, not to be distracted by a green screen and try to react to a green screen. So that was first. And when we were shooting chronologically, we were exploring the character as we were shooting. When we got to the set, everything becomes organic, more physical. I mean, it's different of what you read in the script and it's different when you go to this uh, room. So the reactions are changing. So we had this beautiful script as a blueprint. And then there were so many things that were coming to our head. So many ideas that this environment was uh, giving to us. And we were trying them all the time. So what it ends up in the film, like a 30 or 40% of the film is unscripted. Uh, but that was the good thing about this collaboration. We were open. So everyone was open to try. I mean, and the whole production was made and I tried to have it as open as, as I could. My DOP was really fast to change uh, our uh, shooting plan. He set the lights in a way that it was very easy to change the lights quickly. Even the, you know, the props master and the production design team were always able to adapt and try to find new things that might work. I have to notice here that it was very difficult because during COVID times and lockdowns, many shops were closed and the whole situation of getting stuff was not easy. So I'm very blessed that this happened and uh, we were able to work this way, to work chronologically. I mean, it was inevitable because the whole set was getting destroyed day by day. So I was about to say this, once you break the Catalan, there's not another one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So... And that was a big danger because if was something got it wrong, then it was impossible to reshoot it. I mean, imagine after the scene with water, that was a one-off scene to shoot. You get one take. One take <laughs> yeah. and it went perfect. But, uh, you know, if this take wouldn't work, then we had to invent something else. It doesn't happen often that you get a John Armleder to shelter you under the rain. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was in the script. But we never thought that it would be so big, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like in reality. Which work is that that he's walking with? The John Armleder, the painting uh, with the green dots that it's next to the Maxwell Alexander. There's this moment mm. where you literally see from the back, it's almost like if there was a painting that it's moving in the space by itself, but in fact, Nemo is hiding underneath it. Mm. Well, I think the most important work at the end of the day was the Clemente's painting that he made for us. So uh, Francesco Clemente, yeah. he made this amazing painting just for the film. And it was an honor and uh, I got very emotional when I met him uh, a week before in, uh, in uh, New York and we talked about it. And he was thanking me about including his painting in my film. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm uh, immortally grateful to you that you did that. And that was a really great thing that in my life, I think. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And so is that the original work that is on screen that he made or is it a facsimile? No. So basically this is another whole part of the work that I had to follow, which is every single artist had the possibility, of course, to decide whether 
the work that would come on set would be the actual original work or a replica. And each artist, of course, we would never welcome a work that could be damaged or destroyed unless this damage would conceptually become part of the work. And this is the case, for example, with the Petri Talilai moth. These series of works are performative sculptures that the artist himself performs in the space. The first series was produced for the Venice Biennale in 2017, a project that was awarded with a special mention of the jury. And this is the last moth he has ever done, and he made it for the film, where the wearing of the work, the stains or the rips, they become part of the history of the work. So in that case, the work was original, for example. Hmm. In other cases, it was replicas, but replicas that most of the time were made by the artists themselves. So, for example, Joanna Piotrowska or Maurizio Cattelan decided to print the photographies in the same studios that they use for the original works. So, in fact, there were exact replicas of the original. In fact, original if they were signed off. Or other artists uh, delegated to us the replica and we had a team of incredible painters, for example, who made the Maxwell Alexander in a one-to-one exact replica. So even the actual production aspects of how the works came on set have all signs or very funny or interesting specific stories associated to them. Oh, that's so interesting. I was also watching thinking like, it seems that Nemo has something against Maurizio Catalan because like from both instances when he finds his work, he kind of like knocks it over. <laughs> um, so in the process of trying to survive, Nemo begins to make art, which is a really interesting kind of transition point um, in this paradoxical situation. As you're saying, like there's all this valuable art around him. It's sort of useless. It's sort of passive and watching him as this witness, but obviously not helping him in the slightest. On the other hand, his creativity becomes this very priceless element of the plot. And he makes this furniture sculpture that reminds me of Doris Salcedo's chair sculpture, you know. And yeah, so I think that was a really profound takeaway. I think that you set this idea of what like the meaning of art and what the meaning of art of creativity really is. Now, just to kind of close out, could you comment on the lesson of that? I can start if you want from my perspective. I think Willem has described the character of Nemo as surviving thanks to the art in the space, both physically when he uses a sculpture to open a cold room or like psychologically as a way to really negotiate his existence in the space. This moment of creativity that he has that closes the film in a certain sense really connects you to what is art for every one of us. I mean, something that essentially defines human nature since 50,000 years, since the Homo sapiens started to draw on the surfaces of caves. So it's almost like tracing back to that very moment, to the very essence of what it means to express ourselves through drawings, this urgency that we all feel. This is what you take away from the house. No matter the physicality of the works being destroyed, what remains is really the essence of what art is. It's very clear. I mean, one of the most torturous situations is, and it used in the past, it's just to close you in a white room with no visual stimulation. Even in prisons, they try to do some scratches on the wall, something to stimulate their brain, to make their brain work, because that's the worst thing that happened to a human being. So I think it's that simple. When you find yourself in a way that you need to express, your body needs to express, uh, your brain needs to express yourself. So you start creating something. It might be art by drawing. It might be, you know, building something. So it's a human uh, need, like wanting to eat and drink. So 
I find this a very natural instinct in a situation like this. Yeah, and of course, um, what's that line that he says at the beginning and the end about art? It's so great. Art is for keeps. When I was a kid, my teacher asked what I would save from my house if it were on fire. I answered, my sketchbook, my ACDC album, and my cat Groucho. I didn't mention my parents or my sister. Does that make me a bad person? Cats die. Music fades. But art is for keeps. Because it's supposed to be something that he wrote when he was a kid. Art is for keeps. I'll always have this. But at the end, when he says it again, this word transforms to... He still says the same, but now the meaning of the word is, is eternal. One of the main functions of art to us is that it's a communication device. I mean, we tend to forget that, that artists and artworks are there to communicate and to say, to put messages that will uh, withstand the time. So this is how we have uh, information about ancient civilizations. I mean, we have it through buildings and art. Nothing else there. There is no sound. There is no video. So this is how we know about this civilization. So this is why art is eternal. It stays there and it's like a time capsule for next generation and next people to know about us, about our situations, about uh, our history. Yeah, and it makes me uh, wonder what the collector would have thought when he gets back to his apartment. U.S. audiences can catch the film in theaters beginning on March 17th. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. It was a pleasure to talk through this. Thank you very much, and thank you for your questions. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you tune into your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Carolyn Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.